0: Thank you, Bonnie and Melissa. That was fantastic. Really appreciate you using your gifts that way. It's such a joy to be with you this morning. My name is Dirk Jaspers. I serve as a pastor at First Evangelical Free Church of Wichita, Kansas, and it's been such a privilege to get to be here this weekend, meet so many of you. We've experienced such warm welcome and such hospitality. Katie, my wife, and I are so grateful, and we look forward to meeting the many of you we haven't had a chance to meet after the service. So please introduce yourself. Love to meet you, answer any questions you might have. This morning our passage is Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20 right at the end of Matthew's gospel. So if you have a Bible if you would please turn there. There's an old curse. I don't know what country it's from but it's this. May you live in interesting times. No one wants to live in interesting times, do we? In our world, when we look out at a world of disaster and disease, of confusion and chaos, it can be really easy to become discouraged, can it? How many of you have felt like that in your life? Yeah, it can be very discouraging. And yet the reality is, for us as Christians, that we live this side of Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. And this is a cause for great encouragement. So my hope as we spend some time in this passage, commonly known as the Great Commission, that we will get a picture of what Jesus wants us to be focused on, what we are to be about as a church. But beyond just that, that we would also be encouraged by truths about who Jesus is and his relationship with us. So I hope this will be both a great commission, but also a great encouragement. Would you please stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word? Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, but follow along in whatever Bible you have. God's word says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him Our passage this morning comes in uncertain times for Jesus' disciples, interesting times. It comes right after, three days after, Jesus' crucifixion. If you know the Bible story, or perhaps it's new to you, Jesus was the promised Messiah, the one who had come to save his people from their sins, and yet when he came to this earth, he did not receive an entirely warm welcome. In fact, he willingly walked a path to the cross so that he could save us from our sins. And he bore a humiliating and excruciating death on that cross. And yet he prepared his disciples before this beforehand. He would said, look, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and be crucified. But one day I will rise from the dead. And that is what happened. We read earlier in Matthew 28 that Jesus was raised by the power of God and that he appeared. And he appeared first to some of the female disciples and then later to his 11. And that's what we read about this morning. Now, If you think about the disciples' position at this point, before Jesus appears to them, things look pretty grim, don't they? They've been following this teacher for three years They've left their fishing business, they've left their jobs, they've spent years wandering around with this guy, following him, he's claimed to be the Messiah, and yet just three days earlier, they'd seen him killed, executed, and they likely were wondering whether they might be next, right? We know from other passages of scripture that they kind of hunkered down, that they locked themselves in inner rooms, that they tried to protect themselves and to take steps in case there was retaliation. Things weren't looking good, were they? Yet here in Matthew 28, we see a much brighter picture. Though the disciples are living in interesting times, Jesus comes to them and he encourages them. He shows himself to them and he sends them out on a great mission. We see this happen in verses 16 through 17, Jesus' appearance. There we read this, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now what we're doing this morning, reading the end of the book rather than preaching through the whole book, is not normally how you would want to do this. So there's some things that have taken place in Matthew that I'm going to give you a little bit of context about. Jesus' ministry had begun in Galilee. Galilee was sort of the backwoods of ancient Israel. It had a mixture of Jews but also Gentiles. And from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Galilee was his sort of home turf, his home base, if you will. The very beginning of Matthew's Gospel and Matthew 4, we're told that Jesus' ministry began in Galilee as a light both to Jews but also to Gentiles both to those who were part of God's people and those who were outside. But up to this point, Galilee had been a safe place. Jesus had taken his disciples. They had gone to Jerusalem where he had been executed. But before the execution, he told them, Look, when I rise from the dead, I'm going to go back to Galilee. I'm going to appear to you there. So after my death, go there and I'll be with you. When the angels appear to the women in Matthew 28, they also tell them the same thing. They say, go, verse 9, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. The angels tell the women, send them to Galilee. Jesus appears to the women, says, send them to Galilee. And so now they've come to Galilee, to the place where Jesus has told them to go, and they meet him. Now, these are fulfilled promises. Jesus said, I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to be there. You're going to meet me. And we might expect that they would be sold, right? That they would be ecstatic, that they would be assured that Jesus had done what he'd said he would do, that things were going to be all right. After all, how many people do you know who have risen from the dead? But what we read there is a more mixed picture. What does verse 17 say? They've gone to Galilee, to the place where he said he's going to be, yet there's Mixed emotions. We're told that when they, the eleven, saw him, they worshiped him. That's a good response, right? They worship the resurrected Jesus. They acknowledge him as the Lord. But some doubt it. They're not quite sure. Is this Jesus really Jesus? Should we really be worshiping him? There's fear, there's hesitation here. That's what this word is translated. The one other place that we see it in Matthew's gospel is in the context of Peter. You know that story where Jesus calls Peter to come out onto the water, to walk out to him, and Peter believes initially, he believes that Jesus is the Lord, he begins to walk out, then he sees the winds and the waves and he doubts? It's the same word here. They see Jesus, they worship him, but yet they're doubting. They're not quite sure. They're uncertain they're hesitant. At least some of them are. If we're honest, most of us in our life, whether we've been mature Christians for a long time or whether we're new Christians, many of us sometimes have doubts, uncertainties. We believe Jesus is who he says he is, but sometimes when we look out at our world, it raises questions. We see winds and waves. We see things on the horizon that are scary, that can cause us to fear. And it can be easy to doubt, even as we believe. To Say, is God really in control? Is Jesus really the resurrected Lord who's in control of all things? Is everything actually going to work out? Or are we going to face great difficulty? So this picture we see is one of worship but doubting. It's strange, isn't it? But something that we all no so how does jesus respond to these worshiping disciples as well as the some who are doubting does he rebuke them for doubting does he put on a miracle show what does he do how does he respond we're told verse 18 that jesus came to them and he spoke to them and i believe the primary focus here is encouragement What does Jesus say to them? We see the first great encouragement in verse 18. He came to them and said to them, All authority, heaven and on earth, has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Notice how widespread it is. Not just some authority has been given to me, not just authority over parts of heaven or parts of earth, not just authority over the things that are easy to control, not just authority over those who acknowledge him and worship him. No, complete authority. Jesus has all authority. is all authority in heaven, all authority on earth. All of it belongs to Jesus. Why would this be good news for the disciples? Why is it encouragement for us? When we look out at the world, it seems like there's an awful lot that's out of control, doesn't it? Wouldn't it have felt that way for the disciples? After all, Jesus had just been executed three days earlier. We live in a world that often seems as though it's a very interesting place, a very strange place, a place where we don't know what's going to happen next, where we don't know what's going to be coming down the pike next. We, Ted talked about the churches in Canada. I'm sure they're feeling some of that. And when we live in our world, a world that is often hostile to Jesus, hostile to his people, this is good news. That though it doesn't always seem like it, all of it is under Jesus' control. All authority Belongs to him in heaven and on earth. Nothing is outside of His sovereign hand and His sovereign rule. This theme of Jesus' authority runs all through Matthew's Gospel, it's from the very beginning to the very end, and it's been a source of significant controversy. At the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, I would encourage you to read it. when you have time, we have the story of Jesus' birth. He's the promised king in David's line, the one who would rule God's people with justice and righteousness. And yet from the very beginning, his authority is a threat. Herod, when he hears about this baby born in Bethlehem, wants to take him out, tries to have him killed. He recognizes that there is an authority greater than him, and he tries to strangle it in the crib. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, his authority is on display in Matthew's Gospel. And the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus teaches what it looks like to follow Him, the sort of life He calls His disciples to. And at the end, we read at the end of Matthew 7 that the people were astonished by His teaching, by His authority, because He taught them with authority that was unlike that of their teachers, of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus' authority was on display in His teaching. And later in Matthew's gospel, especially in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, Jesus demonstrates his authority over various parts of nature and creation. He stills a storm, showing that he has power over the wind and the waves over all of nature. He defeats demons, casts them out, showing that he has authority over the spiritual forces of evil that oppose his disciples. He does great miracles and healings, showing that he has authority over death and life. And this authority attracts notice. The people see that there's something different about Jesus, and so do the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they take issue with Jesus. They don't deny that he can do miracles. They get into a number of conflicts and arguments throughout Matthew's gospel. And they try to say that his authority comes from darker places. They claim it comes from Satan. They fight against it because they know that there's something different about this Jesus. But they refuse to submit to his authority. They refuse to acknowledge him as Lord. Jesus' authority is all through Matthew's gospel. And if we were preaching through a whole series in Matthew, we would see that more clearly. But here in Matthew 28, the disciples who have walked with Jesus through most of this, who have seen his miracles on display, have seen his teaching authority displayed now see him in his fullest majesty risen from the dead and jesus comforts them he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me he's demonstrated it he's shown it and now he's reminding them of it friends when we doubt when we see the storms on the horizon, when we see the winds and the waves, when we see the interesting times that we live in, when we see the uncertainty all around us, we need to cling to the reality that Jesus is Lord, that he is sovereign over all. Even when we can't always see it, even when we can't always see what he's doing, we can rest secure in the hope that all authority in heaven, all authority on earth, belongs to him. And that should give us great hope, should give us great encouragement, even when we're tempted to worry and to become discouraged. Now, this great encouragement, this great reality that Jesus has all authority has certain responsibilities that come with it for us as believers. Jesus's claim to authority isn't only an encouraging statement to the disciples, it's also a spectacular claim that Jesus deserves all worship, all praise, all honor and glory. Ted earlier read from, quoted from Philippians 2 where he talked about how one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this authority that Jesus has is comprehensive and it leads to him sending us out as his church on a mission, a mission to all the ends of the earth, to here and there. Notice the way that Jesus' claim to authority leads to a great commission. Verse 19, Jesus in verse 18 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice the word, therefore. You've probably heard a preacher say, when you see a word, therefore, you ask, what is it (laughs) therefore?'" The word, therefore, is tying this great commission to the statement Jesus has just given. This commission that Jesus sends his first apostles out on, that he sends us out on on as the church, Is grounded on and flows out of his authority. He has all authority and it knows no limits. And now he sends his disciples out on a mission that knows no limits. Notice this they are to make disciples of all nations. This is the core command in this passage make disciples of all nations. They're not to make disciples just of their nation, of ethnic Israel. They're not to make disciples just of the nations around them in the ancient Near East. They are to make disciples of all nations because all authority belongs to Jesus. Jesus isn't content with worship from just those who already know him. He is not content with only the eleven honoring him and bringing glory to his name. He is sending them out As the authoritative one to share his gospel with all peoples, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, to all peoples. He is the Lord of all. He deserves praise from all. And that is what the disciples do. They go out. They begin in Israel. They go to the nations around them. They go to Asia Minor. Some of them go to India. They go and start to spread this good news all nations now lest we think this was just a command for the apostles what we see in scripture is clear that the apostles planted the church and the church has been given this mission to continue others after the apostles took the gospel and went other places to europe to other places in asia eventually it reached all the way to hot springs And this call that we're given here is a call not just for them, but it's a call for us. Because Jesus is still Lord, and we're still part of this mission. This idea that Jesus deserves praise from all nations and all peoples also runs all through Matthew's Gospel. Just like the theme of authority runs through Matthew's Gospel, the theme of all nations runs through Matthew's Gospel. The very beginning in the first verse in Matthew one, we we're told that Jesus is of the line of David and of the line of Abraham. Abraham, God had promised, would be used to bless all nations. And Jesus was the way that that blessing would go forward. In Matthew 4, as Jesus begins his earthly ministry in Galilee, the very place where he appears to his disciples, we're told that this was galilee a light to the nations to those living in great darkness throughout matthew's gospel we've seen glimpses of this where those who are on the outside who do not yet know jesus who are not israelites come to acknowledge him as lord in matthew 15 there's a gentile woman who acknowledges jesus as lord and he blesses her there's a centurion a roman one who was part of a great empire that oppressed god's people who comes to Jesus, and Jesus heals his servant. And here in Matthew 28, we see that those seeds that have been planted, this idea that Jesus is Lord not just of ethnic Jews, but is Lord of Gentiles, that he has a mission to bless all nations, is coming to fruition. The seeds are beginning to bloom. And he tells his disciples, I'm going to accomplish this mission to reach all nations, to bless all nations through you. You are the ones I am going to send out. You are the means by which I will bring myself glory and honor throughout all the earth. And this is a mission that continues for us. I'm confident that what I'm telling you here about this need to go and share the gospel with all nations is not new to Southern Hills. I know in your acronym, LIGHT, the gospel sharing piece, I was given a document with your philosophy of ministry, and guess what verses were right there for LIGHT? Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I you know the church supports missions work in Costa Rica, here in South Dakota, that you are doing this sort of work. You are going out and making disciples. And I would encourage you to continue in that Jesus calls us to go and to make disciples of all nations, not just those who are like us, not just those who it's easy to reach, but all peoples, and that is what we are called to do. So we are to make disciples of all nations, but how do we do this? What does this look like in practice? What are the things that we as Christ's church are to be about? Well, Jesus shows us what it looks like to make disciples of all nations, through a few additional commands here in the Great Commission. If you're looking at this in the Greek, I'm not going to bore you with grammar, it's quite clear that make disciples is the main command. Make disciples. That's what we're called to do. And making disciples, Jesus makes clear in Matthew's gospel, involves calling people to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior and to follow him to do that which he teaches, to do that which he commands. So our mission is to make disciples, to bring people to know Jesus and then to follow him, to know Jesus and to obey him, to live as those under his rule and his reign. But what does this look like practically in the church? What does this look like for us? Well, the first thing we see is that it requires us to go. We are to go and make disciples. Now, this isn't groundbreaking stuff. I'm sure most of you know this. But we are called to go. Not to just wait for people to come to us. Not to just wait for things to happen. Not to hunker down and try to ride out the winds and the waves and the interesting times we live in. We are called to go. We're called to an offensive campaign by Jesus. He is Lord of heaven and of earth. And he calls us to go as his ambassadors, as his representatives, and to make disciples. To take the initiative to go and go where others are and to draw them to him, not just to wait for them to come to us. So our making disciples of all nations requires us to take sometimes uncomfortable steps. The 11 disciples who he's talking to here went. They went to various places, and we know from church history that of the 11, 10 of them were executed, and one of them was exiled. But they went. They counted the cost. Jesus doesn't promise us an easy path. He doesn't promise us an easy mission. In fact, he says in Matthew's Gospel, he says, I'm in control, but he says, there's going to be hard times. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, all men will hate you for my name. He says, blessed are you when people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. He says, look, that's how it's going to be. It's not going to be easy sledding. It's not going to be a nice scenic drive through the Black Hills. It's going to be hard work. It's going to involve difficulty. It's going to involve sacrifice. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, he talks about how his disciples need to be willing to leave everything. Family, possessions, jobs. He says, you must... Love me so much that your love for your family is like hatred in comparison. He says, you need to be willing to give up anything to follow me, to go, to do what I call you to do. But he promises that as we go, he is in control. We are not outside of his sphere of authority. We don't ever get beyond his jurisdiction. He is in control. We are to go on a hard path. But the only way we're able to do that is if we trust him, if we believe that he is the one who is in control of all things. So I would encourage you as a church to continue doing what you're doing. Continue going to Costa Rica, to the areas here in South Dakota that need to know Jesus. Continue going to your friends and your coworkers, to those who are easy to talk to and seem receptive, to those who are not. Go to those who are different from you, to all nations, not just those who are like you and to continue that but do so because of Jesus Christ's authority because he is the one who deserves all glory and all honor the second thing we see is that making disciples of all nations involves baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit see that in verse 19 baptizing them what does Jesus mean here He obviously thinks that baptism is pretty important, right? Includes it in the main commands to his apostles. All throughout scripture we see, I think, a pretty consistent pattern in Acts, in Paul's letters, that when the disciples went out, they called people to repent of their sins and to be baptized. That in baptism they were being marked off as those who were publicly acknowledging Jesus as Savior and Lord, that they were being brought in to the family of God, marked off as belonging to the people of God, and that this baptizing involved incorporation into the church. That is, the disciples are not just to make converts, if you will, not just to get people to say a particular prayer or to... Uh, believe a particular thing, they are going to people who do not acknowledge Jesus as Lord. They are calling them to repent, to turn to him, and to publicly acknowledge him as their Lord. And not just that, to be brought into the church, into the people of God. They are to publicly mark off who belongs to God and who, and who has acknowledged him as Lord. They are to bring them into fellowship, of the local church, of the universal church. And they are to do so to all people. Remember, they're to go to all nations. They're to baptize all people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The disciples here aren't just making converts. They're building an institution, if you will. They are building the church. And they are baptizing people into the church, into the name of Christ, for the glory of God. So as we go about our mission, we are to go, we are to baptize, we are to bring people in. We are also to do more than that. It can be easy to believe that we just need to be so focused on evangelism that we can leave what happens after conversion to someone else. We can be a mile wide, but an inch deep. Jesus calls us to something more than that. Yes, he calls us to go. Yes, he calls us to bring people in, to baptize them, to welcome them in. But he also calls us to teach, and not just teach them a little bit, to teach them to observe all that he has commanded them. Jesus, throughout Matthew, teaches quite a bit. You can read about it in Matthew 5-7, through in the Sermon on the Mount, elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel. He makes clear that following him involves certain ways of living. That following him, acknowledging him as Lord, requires a change in how we live, in our priorities, in our values, in what we do with our lives. Everything from wholehearted worship, not honoring God just so other people can see us in church, just so they can see us given the offering plate, but honoring God in ways that bring him honor even when no one else is looking. You can read about that in Matthew 5-7. through He calls us to put sin to death. He says it's not just good enough. For you not to murder your brother, you can't hate him. It's not just enough not to commit adultery. You can't look with lust at someone. He calls us to a higher bar of living, of a way of life that is honoring to him as Messiah, that is honoring to him as God. And he doesn't say these things are optional, that they're just sort of add-ons for those who are A-plus students in the Christian walk. No, he says this is what The church is to teach all to do. We're to make disciples of all nations comprehensive, and we're to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is, part of our mission as a church is not just to baptize, not just to make converts, but it is to build one another up in the faith, to encourage one another, to teach one another what it is that Jesus has commanded us, how he has called us to live. And then to build one another up with the word and to live increasing lives of holiness and righteousness before him. And that's what he calls his church to do. We see this all throughout the scriptures, right? Paul exhorts Timothy to teach sound doctrine, to encourage good works. He tells Titus to encourage godly living on the part of those in his churches. He calls the church to not only make converts but also to build up in the faith, to teach what he has commanded and the way of life that accords with it. So I've only been here in Hot Springs for a couple days. I know some about the church from interacting with many of you. And I'm happy to say that from all I can tell, many of you are living faithful lives. Katie and I have been so impressed by the godliness we've seen on display and those we've interacted with, on the search team, and those we've met over the days to come. But I know myself, and I know I have room to grow, we all need to be constantly learning from God, and we need to do so in the context of the church. We all need to be growing in our obedience to Christ, and that is part of what he calls us to do. We are to make disciples of all nations as his church. We are to go, we are to baptize, to bring new people in, We are also to teach all that Christ has commanded us. And then we are to live that out. Now you might be thinking to yourself, this is quite a mission. Pretty high bar. Are they going to just a small group? Are they going to all people? All people. That's a pretty high bar. Are they teaching some of what Jesus commanded? Or are they teaching all that Jesus had commanded? All. That's a pretty high bar. And there's, let's count, 11 of them. And they're not particularly well-educated. They don't have seminary degrees. They are fishermen, blue-collar guys. They're from the backwoods in Galilee. These aren't necessarily the sorts of people you would expect to launch an international movement that's still going strong 2,000 years later, right? Who would have expected those 11 guys would set into effect the chain of events that leads you all a continent away, 2,000 years later, to be worshiping and praising God. There's something more going on here than what they can accomplish on their own. We see part of the explanation, all authority belongs to Jesus. He's been in control of this process the whole time. And so they can go out in confidence, knowing that he is king, that they're playing with house money. But there's something beyond just that. Jesus encourages them after giving them this great call, this great commission, with a second great encouragement. It's the final words, the encouraging end note of the entire Gospel of Matthew. And what is it? And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Jesus tells them, "I am with you, no matter what." I have your back. My presence will go with you. My presence will be with my church. My presence will be with my disciples as they go on this mission. All authority belongs to me, and I will always be with you, Jesus says. Imagine being one of those disciples, hearing that. Jesus will always be with me. This man who just rose from the dead, who is truly more than just a man, he has risen from the dead, and he will always be with me on this mission. This is our hope. This is our encouragement. We have a tall order. We have a tall task. There will be difficulties. We live in uncertain times, but Jesus has promised that he will always be with his church, that he will always be with his disciples. Come hell or high water, when it's hard and when it's good, In sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, in all of it, Jesus is with his bride. He is with us, and we can set our stake there. We can trust in that. We can take that promise to the bank, because Jesus is true. He is God. He does not lie, and he has promised it. Friends, we do live in interesting times. God's people have always lived in interesting times. We live in a world that often appears uncertain, often appears confusing. We're called on a mission that Jesus tells us will have trouble. And it's a tall mission. It's a hard mission. But we do not need to doubt. We do not need to fear. Jesus has encouraged us. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he is with us always to the very end of the age. Would you please pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you have given all authority in heaven and on earth to Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you that you encourage us with these words. We thank you that you have called us, that you have given us the great privilege of serving you in this mission. We ask that you would make us faithful and making disciples of all nations. That you would give us the courage to go wherever you send us. That you would give us power by your Spirit to draw others to Christ. That we would be baptizing those who come to know you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would help us to grow in our righteousness, that you would help us to teach one another to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. And we thank you that in all things, Jesus is with us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. So would you be honored with our lives, we pray. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and join us for one last song before